0: So Maundy Thursday begins. And I love this first line that kicks off John's gospel, uh, John 13. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world, go to the Father, having loved his own who are in the world. He loved them to the end. That is how Maundy Thursday begins. And I think these words tell us everything we need to know about tonight. It's the thesis statement. It is the gospel in miniature. Everything that unfolds here tonight. So some of this is a little bit of a recap from Palm Sunday, but bear with me. So because of the Passover festival, because of the feast of the unleavened bread, Jerusalem is swarming with people. Bustling crowds have filled her borders. So this mass of humanity, the ones having just welcomed Jesus in uh the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday, we get that Sunday, that happened just a few days prior for Jesus, okay? But this passage stands in stark contrast to all that thrum of activity that's going on in Jerusalem right now. Monday Thursday is cloistered away. It is a quiet place of fellowship. It's very different than all the hubbub that's going on out there. This is a group of friends who are gathered together to celebrate the Passover meal together. Those closest to Jesus, this is the inner circle. And it's one of the more intimate and... Uh, vulnerable and and transparent times that we encounter between Jesus and his disciples. It's very tender, very tender. Our text says that Jesus knew that the hour had come. His rise could have occurred earlier. Had he taken any number of spiritual shortcuts, which thankfully he did not, but it wasn't time yet, right? Jesus was clear that his hour had not yet come. Well, now it's time now it's time. The time for the parables, those had ceased. Uh, Jesus now speaks really plainly with his disciples from here on out, if you watch. Time is short. The wheels of salvation, they are in full motion. He knows this. He knows he's going to be leaving soon, and he begins his farewell preparations. It's a little bit like someone getting their affairs in order before their death, except Jesus knows something they don't know yet. It is the hour decreed by God the Father before time. It is the hour when the Holy Spirit holds his breath, hovers and waits over a hopeful ember that will catch flame. It is the hour when Jesus' obedience, that crucial, essential peace, and his sacrifice are going to prove to be our rescue. But first, Jesus leaves his disciples and all of us with a definitive living picture of how great the Father's love is for us. Jesus is going to finish well. As he says, he's going to love his own till the end, as John tells us. So they're celebrating the Passover meal together, uh, reenacting, remembering God's rescue of the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Jesus is going to take this meal, and he's going to transform it and change it forever. He's going to transform Passover into the Last Supper, communion, Eucharist, And you need to see this as a great act of fulfillment. Somebody here. A great act of fulfillment. Now, I have to wonder, did the disciples really have any inkling or notion uh, that the Lord and teacher was the Lamb of God, sitting before them? Perfect, the spotless, the Paschal Lamb, right there sitting in their midst. I don't know. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, No one at uh, the Triumphal Entry caught it, so I kind of doubt they did. Here's the one who takes away the sins of the world. But moreover, moreover, here's the real shift. Jesus literally, at this meal, at this Passover feast, he literally feeds us with all of who he is, with his very body and his blood. So this table of grace he set before us, he's presiding over as the divine host. This table established before time and rooted in the past, reminding us in the present, while still extending into eternity. It's just this beautiful picture. Now, it's at that very table where Jesus will even remember us, the saints to come. Uh, John has some uh, wonderful prayers along those lines, but let me be more specific. He would be so kind and to be so mindful of us So as to feed us each week in the Eucharist, which we experience as we remember him, as we honor him and receive strength and nourishment from him. This is my body broken or given to you. This is my blood shed for you. So Jesus institutes these words as he dines with his disciples. So Passover is never going to be the same. Never, ever, never. Jesus fulfills it and reconfigures it. And Jesus chooses to share his last meal because that is what this is. He chooses his last meal to share with his disciples and with us, okay? I have to wonder, if it was my last meal on earth, who would be around my table? That, friends, is act one. That's pretty hard to follow. That's pretty big. But if saying, uh, this is my body broken for you, this is my blood shed for you, if that didn't set the disciples off balance enough, uh, which I'm certain it did, Jesus does something very audacious during the meal. He strips down. He essentially gets half naked. That really is the picture you need to see. Jesus with his shirt off probably uh, with just maybe a loincloth or something. He gets basically, strips down, and he washes his disciples' feet. Okay. Some of you go, yeah, yeah, servant thing to do. That's really cool. Let me give you a bit of a picture into that. It is a very odious task to do this. Uh, This is a culture that travels about on foot. So there's that. There's that factor. But there's some other factors. Most of of these ancient streets back then uh, were very narrow, they were paved, and they were very, very crowded. Streets were full of res- refuge and animal excrement. I mean, we were talking dogs, sheep, cattle, horses, everything. All the more because Jerusalem has all these massive crowds or Passover in it. There's no modern sanitation, folks. Not here. Feet were filthy with dust and dirt and excrement. Okay? That's what you're signing up for. So you can imagine foot washing was a pretty common practice. It's the first thing you would do when you arrived at someone's house, they would offer to wash your feet. It was an act of hospitality that uh, was expected, and the host provided this. But, a big but, the host never washed the feet of the guests. Never, never, never. This would have been unthinkable. A, a wife might, might wash her husband's feet. Children, might wash their father's feet the disciples might wash their master's feet but in every case that would have been this extreme act of devotion also nobody eating at the table would perform this task no way it was the duty of a house servant or a gentile slave okay and it was the lowliest role in the house bottom of the totem pole Foot washing was not for a Jew who is eating, much less presiding and hosting a meal, much less a Jewish feast like Passover. What Jesus does here is madness. It's unprecedented and it is outlandish. Jesus turning the tables on us yet again, turning the heat up yet again. For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. So Jesus goes from being, uh, you know, rabbi and host to the lowliest, most humble role in the entire house. This is God, again, making himself small and insignificant, at least as the world sees it. Laying aside all claims to social status, laying aside dignity, and laying aside pride. I find the heart of the incarnation is so... Uh, visible here in this picture. If you didn't get Jesus coming as a vulnerable child, you get it here. Now picture this with me, okay? Get it in your mind's eye. Here's Jesus, half-dressed, almost naked, cradling his disciples' feet, okay, in his hands, washing away the excrement, the filth, the dirt, for all 12 of them. Now folks, that is going to take some time This isn't in a minute done. This is a process, one after the other. This takes some time. It is tender. It is very intimate. And dare I say, probably awkward. (laughs) Maybe really awkward. What is he doing, I suspect, is what's going through their minds, for all the reasons I just detailed. And then Jesus comes to Peter. And I have to giggle, because Peter predictably protests, right? And he does so with his typical, you know, Peter gusto. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? You know, reminds me a bit of John the Baptist, his hesitation at, at uh, baptizing Jesus, you know. You're never going to wash my feet, Jesus. This is all backwards. No, Jesus is kind, but he's really firm. And he's really clear with Peter. Look, you don't understand this now, but you're going to later. Unless I wash my feet, you have no part with me. You must receive and glean this from me if you want to have fellowship with me. So Peter, he relents, responds wholeheartedly, basically gives the equivalent of, okay, Lord, wash me head to toe. The text says, when he had finished washing your feet, put on his clothes, returned to his place. And he asked them, do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? That's what he asked them. And I think that question is the climax of this story. He doesn't want them to miss this. Do you understand what I've done? You get this. Now, remember, Judas, his betrayer, Judas is still here. He's present. Jesus had broken bread with him, (laughs) had served him his body and blood. Jesus washes the feet of of the one who betrayed him most deeply, the one from his inner circle. So, I don't know, you, you ever serve someone who's betrayed you, put the knife in your back, someone you trusted deeply? I, I can't conceive of this jesus could have foregone this he could have passed over judas but he didn't why i can't fully answer that i can take a guess a tentative guess i mean jesus sharing in the Passover with judas washing his feet isn't that just a waste why do that i when i try to imagine the moment shared between jesus and judas on this night with foot washing, communion, both fully aware of what's coming, I cannot conceive of what those moments are like. But as for why, the best guess I can offer you is the heart of God. It shows us the heart of God towards all of us, right? His heart of rescue. When we were enemies of the cross, Jesus still found us, and he still served us. Verses 16, 17, this passage, I'll read part of them. Very truly, or truly, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? Now, Jesus has served the will of the Father. He has loved his own to the end. Okay? When someone washes your feet tonight, can I encourage you to look them full in the face and imagine them as Jesus serving you because that is what they're doing. Imagine them asking you that question. Do you understand what I've done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? I think that's a question for everybody here tonight. I think that question should mark us. That cleansing water foreshadowing, the blood the lamb who takes away the sins of the world do you understand what i've done for you it's a question we need to sit with it's one to carry through holy week now jesus i think is is telling us well many things here but i want to focus on a couple he's showing us in no uncertain terms that the family resemblance in the household of god is love and service the family resemblance in our household, what marks us Love and service. It's how others will identify us. It's how others will know that we are God's people, that we serve. We belong to God and to one another. So his example here is so vital. It is so crucial. It is so real that he commands it, that we would love and serve one another. "Mandi" comes from a Latin word called mandatum. It's where we get the word for mandate from, and it means command. Tonight, I give you a new command, love one another. So Jesus is saying, love is and it will be a defining pillar of my church. It is the one thing you cannot forget. Do you understand what I have done for you? Do you understand what I've done for you? So in the moments to come, wrapping up here, some of you will wash someone else's feet. Okay, Some of you will do that. And in that, you're acting as nothing less than an ambassador of Jesus, as you do this, you're bringing his healing, you're bringing his kindness, uh, you're bringing his compassion, you're bringing his tenderness to uh, your brothers and sisters. Some of you will receive this gift of having your feet washed. I'd love it if everybody could receive both. Some of you are gonna receive the gift of having your feet washed. You're gonna experience what it means to be loved, to be served, uh, to be seen. Uh, and to be met by Jesus through the knowing eyes and the willful hands of your brothers and or sisters. Now, some of you who live alone will place your feet in that basin of warm water, and you will imagine our Lord Jesus, the King of Kings, half naked, acting as essentially a household slave, joyfully washing your feet to show you the depths of his love and his devotion to you. Now, Lord knows I wish we could do better than this on Monday, Thursday, but this is what we have. Regardless, I pray that all these divine realities I've just kind of described for you, I hope that you encounter them tonight. I hope you know what it means to offer yourself in the way that Jesus gave all of himself for you. I hope you know what it means to receive from him with openness of heart and with gratitude. I think if we're able to do those things, Jesus' question, do you understand what I've done to you, will make a deeper home within our hearts and will begin to make a lot more sense to us, okay? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.